Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. John chapter 4. A couple of things I want to talk about tonight, and then we'll go from here, but... Um i my heart for a while now on a Sunday night to kind of come back to this. A year ago, actually, I ministered on this. And uh, just to hit up a few things and uh, look at this. John chapter 4, we've got the story here of Jesus uh, talking to the Samaritan woman. And, um, of course, you know, this, this lady, you know, had, had some issues with her life, looking for love in all the wrong places kind of a deal. And um, uh, meets Jesus, you know, comes along, meets Jesus, and uh, bring your husband out here and said, well, I'm not married. He said, well, you know, you're right. Been married five times, and the the uh, side dude you have now is not your husband. So um, uh, she immediately wanted to change subjects, you know, to something else. Uh, she says, "I perceive you're a prophet," and Jesus said, "Duh, <laughs> you think?" Um, but in the verse twenty, it says uh, in John chapter four, verse twenty, it says, "Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship." Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, the hour is coming." When you will neither worship on this mountain nor Jerusalem, worship the Father. Verse 22, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so, you know, this uh, obviously was a major change in worship. And really up until this point, people were not even possible. It wasn't even possible for them to do this. We have reference of King David. He actually uh, uh, saw what was coming and uh, realized that uh, he said, you know, that you prefer your praises or worship of your people more than the blood of ox or goats. And so he saw, seeing into the future, saw that there was more to be had and, uh, you know, it's just kind of cool, you know, God will, if your heart is there, if your heart is open and ready and chasing after him, he'll even show you things to come and let you get in on stuff that maybe you don't even necessarily qualify for. He just loves you that much when your heart is right. Right. And so, you know, we know of David, it said David was a man after his own heart and he saw the father in a different light, but really up until this, till this time when Jesus was here, this type of worship Worshiping him in spirit and in truth, worshiping him with your heart really wasn't something that was an option. Uh, worship was a duty. It was a job. It was a responsibility. Uh, uh, and it was something that you did because you were told to do it, but the connection wasn't there. Uh, the, the connection between the, between the two parties wasn't around. And so uh, you know, Jesus said the hour is coming and now is when, uh, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, this lady, you know, the Samaritan woman, when she approached Jesus... Uh, her first question was about location, was about the physical, the natural side of things. And, you know, our worship isn't about uh, the natural side of things. It's not about a location. How many know that worship is not a church thing? I'll say it again. Worship isn't a church thing. It's a life thing. It's a heart thing. And it's not a time limit thing. It's really, you know, I've been in times where we've had worship services or, or even a service or just a time of personal worship that uh, lasted a long time. I've had other times where it was very short. It just really is a matter of expressing in your heart until you're satisfied and the Father's satisfied. And um, it's just not a location thing. It's not a time thing. It's a heart issue. It's a heart thing. And so, you know, that was her first question, you know, about uh, where is this going to take place? And he said, you know, it's, he basically said, listen, it's, uh, it's about your heart. It's not about where it's going to be. You know, this worship, this word worship, I don't know if I had mentioned to you this before, but this word uh, worship literally means to kiss, 
like a dog licking his master's hand. You know, when you worship in the, in the, in the, in the heart of God, really the kingdom perspective on worship is not necessarily specific words. Like I said, it's not a, it's not a service. It's not a time. It's not a duration. That's not what it is, but it is an attitude of the heart. And what a great way to express it, that it's to meaning to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. Now, you know, we're, we're, we have, we're cat owners uh, at the Anderson house. Uh, uh, we have a very mean, uh, rude cat uh, that is only friendly when she's hungry. Uh, but, uh, you know, dogs just love their masters. Uh, our cat loves us in the morning and then the rest of the day she's got nothing to do with us. But um, uh, dogs love their masters and we've had dogs before. But, you know, there's just something about a dog uh, when they see its master or their, its owner, how excited they are to see it. If any of you have dogs, you know, you know that they just, they just love to see you. Uh, they're excited, but there's just something about the dog coming up and just licking your hand. And maybe it's a little gross to some of you, but, uh, some really, some really, yeah, it's a little gross, but, uh, uh, you know, come up just, it's just, a, it's, it's a sign or a picture of just total submission. It's a picture of just, uh, uh, you know, people think that pets don't have emotions. They just don't have never had pets. Pets very much feel and think and, and they have personalities. And, and I've seen pets, you know, dogs, especially cats, not so much, but dogs, especially, uh, I guess I'm more of a dog person, but we have cats. But anyway, uh, the cat we bought, they told us acted like a dog. They lied. Uh, but anyway, this particular breed was, huh? Uh, she's a little bit, she did fetch when she was younger. Now she just is typical cat. But anyway, um, you know, it's just something about when a dog, how many of you seen the videos even of a, a, a soldier returning home from, from war? Seen those videos online, you know, and the, and the dog just is so excited and just so happy to see, uh, see its owner. I don't know about you, but it almost brings a little tear to my eye. You know, the dog is just so excited, just can hardly control itself. And I've seen others where the dog would just jump up on the owner's lap or the, the servicemen returning home from overseas and just almost, I've seen some where the dog just whimpered and just, just wouldn't leave him alone, trying to lick him, just whimpering, just shaking, just so excited. But it's a picture of just complete surrender and just being absolutely enthralled with somebody where to the point to where nothing else matters. The world doesn't exist. You know, it's just in that dog's eye. When you come home from work, it's all about you at that moment. They're just happy to see you. And so that word worship, that's what it literally means. It means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. Now that doesn't mean we're dogs and God doesn't say we're dogs, but that affection is the type heart response that in today's age that we live in, the time that we live in as the church, that we can express that and it's right and it's fitting. And really the truthful, the truth is anything less than that isn't true worship. Anything less than that really isn't true worship. Not saying that is bad. You know, we, before we talked about the difference between praise, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, praise and worship, there's a difference and, and all of them have their place, but true worship is more of a heartfelt one-on-one kind of a thing. It's more of a personal, uh, uh, thing. And so, um, God desires all of these things. He, he's crazy about all of them. He desires them. And there's such blessing learning how to, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, to locate your heart and learn how to express that to the Lord. Now that, that, that word also goes on to mean to, to fawn or to crouch, uh, literally or figuratively to prostate oneself and homage, uh, reference or reverence to adore. It's a position of your heart. You know, when you, when you, you can either bow or, or kneel in the, in the natural if you want, 
that really is just you just responding to what's in your heart, but it's what you feel prompted to do or the, the expression of your, of your heart at that moment. But it's a position of your heart from the standpoint where you are completely surrendered and you're offering yourself to the Lord. Amen? And so, you know, worship is, is, uh, is something that is of such value to the kingdom of God. And it's something that, uh, for me personally, that over the last year, year and a half, two years, you know, that has become more and more evident, you know, thanksgiving, praise, and worship, the importance that it, that it holds in the life of the believer and in our relationship with him. Uh, you know, when you're in relationship with someone, you want to, you want to be able to express yourself. And, and without learning how to locate your heart and how to approach God, you know, life wants to distract us. You may know what I'm talking about. I mean, life wants to distract us. It wants to get our attention off on other things, but learning to press through that and go beyond that and express what's in your heart is of such value. Go with me over to um, Luke, the fourth chapter. In Luke chapter four, this is uh, an interesting uh, perspective on this. Uh, Luke, the fourth chapter. Luke chapter four. We've got the account here of um, after Jesus uh, was baptized by John the Baptist, and, uh, and 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 you know we have the the Holy Spirit descending upon him in bodily form, and boy, I can't wait to get to heaven to put in the DVD of that and uh, to see how all that went down. But um, in the fourth fourth chapter, verse one, you've got. Um, uh, the beginning of this where in verse one, it says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy spirit returned from the Jordan was led by the spirit into the wilderness. And so, uh, you know, we have, we've got a picture here immediately. Jesus is being thrust out into ministry. And the first step in ministry for Jesus was to expose what was in his heart. And, and the first thing in his ministry was really a time of reflection for him and, and to see what he's made of basically. And, um, so it goes on to say being tempted verse two or 40 days by the devil, I don't know about you, but I've never fasted for 40 days, and dear Lord, please don't ask me to. Uh, that sounds awful. Props to Jesus for doing that. Uh, been tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, they, when it ended, he was hungry. Obviously, he was like us. He was hungry. Verse 3, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to be bread. Jesus answered, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Verse 5, now this is the second thing that the enemy tempted him with. Then the devil... Taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all authority, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Now, these were actual temptations. A lot of times, you know, people have read this and I've read this in the past and thought, oh, this was Jesus and it was a temptation, but it wasn't that big of a deal. You have to understand that if you can be tempted with something, he could be tempted with something. And these things, if you're hungry and being tempted 40 days hungry... Not eating for 40, that, that's hungry, right? I mean, you are hungry at 40 days. Being, turning this bread and this stone into bread, obviously the enemy knew Jesus could do that. Just an interesting side thought. He was a man just like us. He was a son of God, but he laid aside all of those things and came to the earth and functions just like you and I. And he knew, the devil knew he could turn a stone into bread. We've got some work to do, don't we? And... Um, Obviously, he's hungry. That was a, a temptation. The enemy showed him all the kingdoms in the earth. How did that happen so fast? I don't know, but he did, and they, he saw all of this. He said, listen, all authority has been given to me. I can give it to whomever I want. Jesus was tempted by this. Do you think Jesus knew why he had come at this point? I mean, Jesus was under no illusion of what was laying ahead of him, right? I mean, he was fully aware of what was coming. 
don't know about you, but that's pretty heavy. That, that's, a, that's a lot to handle. That's a lot to deal with. Even three years down the road, that would weigh heavy on you. That would loom large in the distance. I mean, that would be something that every day would probably something that would cross your mind. And from his standpoint, there were even aspects of that that we don't even understand that he knew. I mean, we think of the physical side of that. That was probably the least of Jesus's concerns when, as he thought towards that day. I mean, you're being separated from the one he's always been with and being uh, the sins of the world, something he had never experienced, had never had on him ever He was going to take not even one time. He didn't even steal one cookie when his mama told him not to. As a kid, he was without sin. He was going to take the entire sin of the world, past, present, and future upon himself. I think that weighed pretty heavy on Jesus. And so his reason for coming was to be able to return mankind to a position of authority and to redeem man and to gain control of the the right to do things. Adam lost his lease on the earth, handed it over to the enemy. Basically, the devil's telling him, I'm going to give it back to you. I, I said all that to say Jesus was surely tempted by that. Knowing what's ahead, that surely tempted him. But notice what, what happened. He said, uh, Uh, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Verse seven, therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. Notice if you will worship me, all of this will be yours. The enemy was willing to give up or to promise. Now he's, he's a liar, but uh, he was willing to offer up what he had committed high treason to get just for a single word of worship from Jesus. Think about that. We, we sometimes think worship, you know, when we come together in our own private time as being just a, a simple, small thing. This is how heaven looks at worship. This is the value that Jesus put on it. So Jesus was made the offer to, offer to miss all of this, to, to go ahead and accomplish his mission now. Gain all the authority that is that, that was stolen, that was lost, to get it all now. All he had to do was worship the enemy. All he had to do was just worship, just, one, just worship the devil once. Notice what verse 8, he said, Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So Jesus, at that moment, was tempted with an option. He had choice A, which is the path that he was sent here and the course he was on, and then suddenly option B. He suddenly had a multiple uh, choice question or quiz that he had to pass. He could go ahead and do option A, or he could choose the short road and do option B and get it over with right now. Worship was so important, he chose A. He chose all that was attached to it just to not offer one word of worship to the enemy because worship belongs to God. It's something that's so important it belongs to him. I tell you, that, that, puts, uh, that helps me see a little bit, I don't know you, but it puts in perspective how valuable that is. You know, when we come together, as a side note, we come together, we, we have a corporately, you know, we should be doing this on our own. Of course, worship also, uh, I'll say this, isn't just a, a it's not just a, an, an expression only, it's also your life. I mean, it's also you worship him with your life. You worship him with your, 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 uh, uh, worship is sacrifice. And we'll look at that in a minute, but you're worshiping him every day with your life. But you know, we come together, we have an opportunity to offer something to God that is so valuable. Jesus was unwilling to stray from his plan for a minute. He wasn't willing to do that. I mean, he was, he was unwilling to give that up, even though it would, 
You know, you understand what I'm saying? Get the job done necessarily. He was so unwilling. That's how important it is. Every time we come together, we have an opportunity to worship God and to, to offer him freely something that Jesus valued so highly. God values so highly. Worship is sacred. Worship is something that uh, in Psalms chapter 69, I'll read it to you. It says, I will praise the name of God with, with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bull which has horns and hooves. That was David speaking. He recognized that there was something about praising God from your heart. Uh, verse in, in Psalms 141, it says, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. We know that thanksgiving, praise, and worship is the highest form of prayer. But he said here that it's a, uh, let my prayer be set before you as an incense. Have you burn incense at your house? Some of you do, y'all hippies out there. Uh, you know, I don't particularly care for the whole, but it fills the whole house. It's an aroma that fills the whole place. And our praise is something that fills the house of God. Think about that. Our prayers, our praise and worship being the highest form of prayer is, is the, what's, what's the Yankee candle of heaven. How many of you people who love Yankee candles, you're burning Yankee candles, all this. I saw a bacon Yankee candle. How disgusting is that? All the guys are like, well, that sounds pretty good, Pastor Greg. But uh, I saw one that was like, was it, was it a bacon cheeseburger? What was that? It was just, anyway, please don't burn a bacon Yankee candle if we come over. But uh, our prayers, and specifically our praise and worship, is the things that fills the very house of God, fills the very throne of God. That's, a, that's, that's actually pretty cool. I mean, it could be a lot of things. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one that, that, that did all, I mean, he, he created everything, the one that was before anything existed. And the one that will be here after everything is gone. I mean, he is, he, he is the one that, think about this, he's the one that exists, I don't know anybody like this, that exists at all moments at the same time. Go figure that. He is the beginning and he is the end. I would say God is pretty cool, right? He is pretty amazing, pretty, pretty spectacular. And anything that, 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 that could be created that would be of, of great value or anything, he's already created it. And above all the things that he's created, he fills his throne room with our praise, that is the scent or the aroma of the very throne of God. That's, that's pretty amazing. We had read the scripture, you know, a year ago when, when I talked about this in Revelations that there's golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. It said that, you know, he collects this stuff in bowls. It's pretty cool. Our praise, our thanksgiving, our worship specifically is valuable to God. You know, this morning we were talked about talking about putting action to your faith. Go over here to Matthew chapter 15, Matthew, Matthew the 15th chapter. Everybody doing all right? Matthew 15. When you're there, let me know. Some of y'all are super fast. <laughs> By the way, I want to apologize for my comments this morning about football season. Uh, let's just all be in agreement that, that all of us here in the auditorium in the church that we can all agree that FSU, Florida, they're all better than Miami, right? So we can all agree on that. So <laughs> sorry, Joey. All right. <laughs> we can rally together in our hatred of all things the U. All right. 
I mean, God doesn't even like Miami. You know that. So, uh, <laughs> Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried to him, saying, Have mercy on me, uh, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. I tell you, it's so important that we uh, maintain the proper perspective on people. Amen? Uh, the disciples were like, Hey, send her away. She's crying out after us. You know, people cry out who have needs. You know, you're, when, you, when, when a baby's born, side note entirely, when a baby's born, they cry because they need something, right? Nobody thinks, oh, I wish that newborn would just shut up. I mean, you might if you're three or four in the morning. Rachel's like, yes, we do. But okay, if, if parents other than Rachel Morgan, for those listening to CDs, not the online, not to confuse any other Rachels in the room, uh, you, you, when you hear that, I mean, you know, yes, at three or four in the morning can be annoying, but they're doing it because it's, they have a need, right? And as a parent, I mean, you look beyond that to go meet that need. I mean, you know, that, that's what you do. And so, uh, you know, they said, you know, turn him away, send her away for she cries out after us. But he answered uh, and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Notice verse 25. Then she came and worshiped him. She came and she worshiped him. Now that word worship in this scripture, she came and worshiped him. That word worshiped, if you're wondering what exactly she did, is the exact same word in John 4. Right? It's the exact same word to, to, to what do we say, to, um, uh, to kiss like a dog licking its master's hand, to, to prone oneself, to, to, to bow down. It was the same word. And, and, and this woman was not a woman even that was, had a covenant with God. She was not of the house of, of, of David. She was not in the right family, but she still came in verse 25. She came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. You know, our worship, I'll just say this, you know, it's okay in times of worship to still express if you need something. That's all right. Just don't let it be your main focus. Don't let it be the whole reason why you're doing it. If it's the reason why you do it, then it's not really worship. If you only come to him to tell him how much you love him when you need something, it's really not an expression of your heart. It's an expression of your need. Right? And he's interested in meeting our needs, but he's more interested in your heart. He says, she came and she worshiped him. Verse 25, she came and, she, and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus said to her, old woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. Her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, this woman had very much real issues going on. I mean, her daughter was not just demon-possessed, but severely demon-possessed. I don't even know what that means, but demon-possessed is pretty severe. She was severely demon-possessed. But even in the, in the midst of, of getting her answer for her daughter, she came and she worshipped him. Can I tell you that your worship is an act of faith? This morning we were talking about putting action to your faith. Your worship is an act of faith. Where you're, what you are willing to express, the time you want to take to set aside. She had major things that she needed. And she had a one time in her, I'm sure in her perspective, I don't know this, but I would assume in her perspective, she had a one shot opportunity of getting this, getting this taken care of. 
I mean, if he's going somewhere and the disciples are trying to shoo her away, I mean, it's already getting critical at this minute. The people following him are trying to get rid of me. But she still came and she worshiped and she took the time to come and worship him. Yes, she still cried out, but she worshiped him. Your thanksgiving, praise, and worship, it is an act of faith and it's pleasing to God. It is pleasing to God. You know, we were earlier, we were, we were singing and we were worshiping somebody we can't even, we didn't even see. That's an act of faith. I read the scripture this morning, you know, Hebrews 11, but without faith, it's impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Times like this, whether it be on your own or at home, uh, or here, that is a time where you're seeking God. You're looking for him. You are, you are expressing your heart to him. You're going after him. Sometimes we think seeking is something that it's not. It, it doesn't mean looking through the yellow pages. It's, it's pursuing. You know, when you, when, you, when you love on somebody, you're pursuing them, right? You're pursuing them. Your heart is being, you're pursuing them. Well, our, our worship uh, is, is an act of faith. It is an act of faith. Lo- I love the message Bible. It says it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe that, both he ex- that he both exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. He cares enough to respond. Your worship is an act of faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, we know this scripture. I'll just read it to you. Verse 15, it says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And I know we all know this scripture, but times of praise and worship, spending time ministering to him, is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. Go over me over to uh, Acts, the, um, the 16th chapter. Acts 16. We'll read a couple more scriptures and we'll be done. Acts 16. We'll have the band come back up in a minute. It's only 770. We're usually just finishing up with praise and worship anyway. Uh, Acts 16. Now, I, I was just going to skip this, but I thought, let's just get a picture of this, of what, was go- what all was going on here. This is the account of Paul and Silas in prison. In Acts 16, 16, it says, Now it happened as, as we went to, to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And, she did, and this she did for many days, but Paul, being greatly annoyed, aren't you glad that these guys were like us? They were, he was greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Verse 20, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. Of course, you know, they weren't troubling the city, but these are the accusations. You know, if you're doing the will of God, people are going to have something to say about you that's not going to be very favorable. Don't let it bother you. So don't let it bother you. (laughs) Said, uh, Said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. I think setting a girl free is not troubling. That is rescuing, right? And they teach customs that are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. 
Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Now, imagine this picture. Now, we have all received some persecution of, of some kind, but none of us have received this kind of persecution. I mean, we might get some, some crazy looks or maybe a snide remark here or there, but nothing like this. You know, this stuff goes on all, all around. This still goes on around the world. We've had Brother Christopher said that he counts it a privilege to be in prison for his Jesus. And he has been in prison. You know, they've, their team in Myanmar, they've, they've faced all sorts of things. I mean, you know, uh, 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 he, he says he counts it a privilege. Well, we're very privileged in America that we don't live in that kind of hostile environment. We might catch some comments, but, you know, that's the extent of it. But they were setting people free, healing and ministering to people. And these guys got upset and worked the crowd up because it hurt their pocketbook. They could care less about that girl. They could care less about anybody else. They didn't, they didn't have a problem with other people getting set free. They didn't have a problem with the people Paul and Silas were ministering to other than that. They just had a problem when it affected their wallet. You learn a lot about people when it affects their wallet, right? And uh, that's when they had a problem. And so they began to speak out. And Paul and Silas got beaten up when they beat people during this time, it was a little different than getting beaten today. Whoa, that person got beat. Well, okay, they would, th- these guys would take today's version of beating, American beatings that we see, you know, uh, these guys got tore up and then locked into prison. You know, they had every right to be upset. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know, anybody can you, would you be honest like me and say, I would, I'd be fighting the temptation to be a little angry, right? I mean, you know, I'd be ticked off at those guys. I, I'd be ticked off at the magistrates, the people that, that I mean, the, the multitude got worked up on it. This is the same multitude that they were just ministering to. Now, it doesn't say this, but I would guess that probably some of the people that they prayed for, ministered to, other than this girl, some of those other people that got answers and, and things they needed in their life were probably in this multitude. I don't know, but you can't prove that it didn't happen, right? I mean, you know, if the multitude, a multitude's a lot of people, even if there's one in the crowd that they had ministered to already, I don't know about you, but that would sting a little bit, right? That would bother me a little bit. And so it says, you know, they were, they were locked up. They had every reason to be upset. They had every reason to be upset at God. I know nobody here has ever done that where you're just a little, a little upset with God about a situation. Nobody's done that, right? I know I haven't. I know none of you have either. And so they had every temptation to be a little upset with God. But it says, you know, they had, uh, verse 24, having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But it goes on to say in verse 25, the next verse it says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. What's the point? Our worship, our praise is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. I don't know about you guys, but we, I have things that are going on. I mean, you know, while we're in this life, we are going to have trouble. Jesus said that. We're going to have opposition. Y'all do know he said that, right? You're going to have opposition. Stuff's going to happen. 
And, uh, you know, I remember the story of Brother Hague, you know, being in the, line, in the prayer line. The lady said, pray for me. The devil will leave me alone. He said, well, you mean to pray that you'll die? Because that's, that's the only way that's going to happen, right? The only way the devil's going to leave you alone is you leave this earth. While you're here, you're going to have things. And I've got stuff just like you've got stuff that we're facing. But, you know, a heart, it's not a, it's a heart issue, right? And in the midst of those things, it is a sacrifice of your attention. It's a sacrifice of your priorities. It's a sacrifice of your affection. They had, they, it was very tempting for them for their affection to be on themselves. Right? I mean, their, their attention to be on their bodies, their, their concern. The thing that was consuming their hearts and their minds at that moment was their situation. They didn't, at that moment, they had no way of knowing what was about to happen. You do realize that we read the story knowing that after that, the prison was shaken and they all got set free. At this point, they're just facing an impending doom. This is what they did to us today. What does tomorrow hold? It could very well have been their last days on earth. That might've been their last night. They might've, might've probably, I'm sure they didn't feed and they probably went through their last meal opportunity without one in their mind. They don't know what's coming, but they made the decision to honor and to worship and to pray and to sing praises to the Lord. Of course, we know, you know, obviously God came through and set him free. Go over to 2 Samuel, the, sixth, the, the 12th verse, the 12th chapter, 2 Samuel 12. Praise God. Thank you for responding. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's doing all right, isn't it? All right. 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, verse 16, it says, David, now David, let's just stop for a second. David in his life was in a position where his life was a mess because of David's decisions. David had made himself a mess in his life. He had messed stuff up. A lot of times, you know, the the enemy would come with thoughts, well, you can't praise God because look at what just happened. You, it doesn't matter what it is, you can still worship God. How many know that God does not turn your worship away because you got problems? (laughs) He doesn't. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that that's not the way it works, right? Therefore, David pleaded with with God for his child. His, His child was sick. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Verse 18, then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. Now this is David's son passed away. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do us some harm. They, they were in us. They were, David was not in a good spot, and everybody recognized it. I mean, everybody was aware of the situation. Verse 19, when David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Notice verse 20. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and what? And worshiped. David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Now keep in mind, this is the one that the Bible said was a man after God's own heart. David made a, made a mess of his life, right? I mean, David, David, David messed stuff up royally. 
But how did David get, when we look back, you know, David is, is remembered and looked upon fondly. He's in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. He's in there. How, how did David go from this place to, to a place where he's someone that we're to look up to and to follow after his faith? It's because that's his heart right there. Even amidst a tragedy, he got up, cleaned himself off. He went in and worshiped. Of course, you know, after that, you know, Solomon was born and God restored, began to restore things to him. And, and um, Solomon was a great blessing to not only David, but to the, the children of Israel. And, and, uh, but, but the whole point is, even in the midst of this, David went in and worshiped. I can guarantee you, David did not feel like worshiping. He did not feel like worshiping. That was probably the last. I mean, you realize this isn't just a story. This was somebody's life. This was somebody's life. This actually happened to David. He actually went through this. He saw his own son die. And David, and and get this, David knew what happened to his son was a result of his actions. Think about the weight. His actions caused this to happen. Yet he still laid aside you say, well, I don't know if that just seems so insincere to lay aside, you know, guilt or responsibility and just go worship God. No, that's what you have to do. That's what you have to do. God doesn't want you walking around with guilt. He doesn't want you walking around with guilt. Now, you have to address some things. We know in 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. And so those, that is important. But, it's, but your shortcomings that you've made shouldn't hold you back from pursuing what he's called you to do. But more importantly, pursuing him. Right? Shouldn't hold us back from pursuing him. So David went and worshiped. He, he did this. He worshiped God. I tell you what, it is, our worship is a valuable thing. Time spent worshiping him also benefits us. We'll close with this here in just a sec. It also benefits us. Psalm 16, 11 says, you show me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy. You ever spent time in the presence of God? I tell you, there's just something about being in the presence of God. It is, it is, it is something that once you get a taste of it, you, you, you want more of that, right? I mean, it's not like anything else in his presence is fullness of joy. You're at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Acts uh, three, uh, 19. We know the scripture times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. How do you get into the presence? You approach him through thanksgiving, praise and enter into his courts with thanksgiving into his into his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise and then worship gets right up into the very throne room of god it's a means for personal exaltation first peter chapter 5 verse 5 says uh, god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god do you think that's what david was doing coming before god and saying you know what even in the midst of what's going on, in the midst of who's responsible, I'm, I'm offering myself to you. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And I just love this scripture in Genesis chapter 15. You can turn there and look at it with me. Genesis 15, we'll stop with this. The band, you guys can come on back up. Genesis and singers. 7.30, we're good. Genesis 15, 
Verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Notice this. Your exceedingly great reward. You know, spending time honoring him, worshiping him, laying our lives before him from a position of not just singing worship for words, but being words that express from our offering ourselves to him as if a, an, a dog would come and lick its master's hand. That is complete submission, right? God is your reward. I mean, at the end of the day, God responds to you. God always responds to you. He always, we're in covenant with such a grateful or such a gracious heavenly father. Even in moments where we are just laying our lives down for, for him, he can't help but just do stuff for you. He can't help but just to, to move in life. But more importantly, he can't just help but just to be himself with you. I tell you, you know, you want to learn how to grow, how, how, to, how to grow in your walk, spend more time with God because you're going you're to become who you hang out with. You're going to look more and more like the person you hang out with. I said before, I think people who've been married a long time, they look like each other. It's creepy. And, uh, and I, Amy, I'm sorry that it's going to happen to you, but, uh, you know, you're going you're to look like me. It's terrible. Uh, they look like each other. Well, you spend that time in the presence of God. You can't help leaving times with him and come out looking like you did. You're going to come out looking different. You're going to come out things you're going to be. You're going to be a better reflection of your father. You're going to be a better representation of your father. Amen. Let's all stand up. I just want us to. If we can. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.